am I gonna find you? I'll find you. Is there anything else? Yeah. I want to cost you. Welcome to episode three of the Bad Movies Worst Opinion podcast, where we believe that everybody has a favorite bad movie. Karen and Harrison here, Rob Brenton, our special guest. Patrick Moore is here. Patrick, how are you doing today? Good, man. Thank you guys for having me. Should I be thanking you? I don't know. I had to watch this movie again, and it's been a long time since I've seen it. I actually did not remember any part of it, so it was brand new to me. We did this movie because <laughs> Rob loves superhero movies, so yeah, we're happy okay. to have him. Not per se this one, just <laughs> superhero movies in general. <laughs> he does love superhero yeah. movies, so we're happy to do this. Go ahead and review us. Give us five stars. All of that stuff that podcasters tell you to do. Today, we are reviewing Daredevil. Daredevil got a 5.3 on IMDb with over 222,000 reviews. You can catch this on HBO Max. It came out Valentine's Day on 2003, so a 20-year anniversary this year for Daredevil. Can you imagine taking your girl to see Daredevil on Valentine's Day? Oh, I can't imagine, no. By the way, movies released in February, usually not elite. That's generally the rule of thumb. If you're a February release, you're not like, especially for a movie that people thought could be a blockbuster, you, they knew it was a stinker. They knew it was coming. The budget for this movie was $78 million. At the box office, Patrick, $179.2 million worldwide. So Daredevil, a box office smash. It made Daredevil. a lot of money. It did. This movie stars Ben Affleck as Matt Murdock and Daredevil. I couldn't read any of the, you know, descriptions. Normally I give a description for the people that are in this movie, but because they're comic book characters, it's so much information that I would have been reading to you right now. You guys know who Ben Affleck is in this movie. Matt Murdock, Daredevil. Jennifer Gardner is Electra. Listen to this. I got a fun fact for you, Rob. Is this who they're going to cast? Yeah. Okay. My first fun fact gone. Many actresses were looked into, including Kate Winslet, Penelope Cruz, Selma Hayek, Natalie Portman, Lucy Liu, Jessica Alba, and Katie Holmes. Recast Jessica Gardner. I also had Elijah Dushku as a person they Oh, considered. I didn't even see that on you. I like that one. That's good casting. Okay, what's the year? 2003? Yeah, this was right before Jennifer Gardner and Ben Affleck became a thing, by the way. That's another fun fact. Did they cheat on each other on this movie? I don't know if it was on this movie, but the timeline would add up. The chemistry okay. was electric. <laughs> it really was. <laughs> uh, I, I kind of like the idea of Lucy Liu in 2003. I think she'd be good. I feel like Jennifer Garner was not a great pick. She didn't really fit the character, but I also feel like no one really fit the character because this movie kind of flopped. <laughs> Michael Clark Duncan was Wilson Fisk. Colin Farrell was Bullseye. John Favreau. John Favreau has had a great Disney Marvel run. He was Franklin Foggy Nelson and uh, Joe Patitolano. Is that how you pronounce his last name? The reporter guy? Yeah, he was Joe uh, the Pantoliano. reporter. Joe Pantoliano. Joey Pants. Is Ben Urich. He was the reporter. By the way, fun fact, this is the first time on camera Colin Farrell used his actual accent in a movie. Because he's Irish, and he's Irish in the movie. Okay. Don't know right. why they made him Irish in the movie, but they were like, hey, just... We don't need you to do any accent work. Just go. A little fun fact in this movie. Box office. Daredevil, number one this week. How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days was number two. Chicago, number three. Jungle Book 2, number four. Shanghai Nights, a movie that will probably be on this podcast at some point. Shanghai Nights, I believe starring Jackie Chan and Owen Wilson. Isn't that Lucy Liu? Didn't Lucy Liu make an appearance in that film? Sounds racist. It it sounds racist that you're assuming that. Was she in the first one, maybe? Shanghai Noon? I don't know which one's the first and which one's the second. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> there's, there's multiple? There was, oh, there's, there there's was Shanghai Noon, and then there was Shanghai Nights. Okay, no, I did not know that. Yeah, uh, there's an extended was, universe of the one, uh, you got to have multiple Shanghai. She's in the first one, not the second one. Okay. okay. Not so racist. Was, I not take racist. that back now. She's, I, she, I had the wrong film. But she's definitely <laughs> in Shanghai Noon. She's in one of the two. Okay, that makes sense. The movie starts with the voiceover, which to me is normally a telltale sign. Of a bad movie. If a movie starts with a voiceover, it's normally not good. I grew up in Hell's Kitchen. The politicians and the real estate developers call it Clinton now. But a neighborhood, like everything else, has a soul. And souls don't change with a name. 
Yeah, almost always like a sign of weak writing. I think maybe I, I tried to watch, because the one on HBO Max is the theatrical cut, but there is a director's cut out Ooh, there of this so you, movie. Did you watch the director's cut then? I started it last night, but John Wick 4 was also last night. That movie was like three hours long, so like I mm. fell asleep watching the director's cut. Coolio is in the director's cut. Why'd they Why? cut Coolio from the movie? Who they, is he? They cut his whole storyline. He was involved with, like, uh, Wilson Fisk. He was oh, like, he was a goon. He was a goon. He was a goon. All right. Yeah. I watched the HBO Max version, which I did not which did not have Coolio, so there you go. Yeah, because the one on HBO Max, the theatrical cut, an hour and 43 minutes. The uh, extended cut, two hours and 13 minutes. No, I picked mm. the right one. That's too long uh, for yeah, a Daredevil. It's very t- I, yeah, but I, I, especially, right. no offense to Coolio. If that half an hour is just a Coolio storyline, I think we're good. Probably good, yeah. I actually think the movie could have been longer, could have actually done some storytelling about the characters so I'm okay if it was longer. It felt kind of rushed but yeah, the theatrical version is what I watched last night on HBO Max. See, and I thought that the narration was because they cut a bunch of shit out but all that narration was in the extended cut as well so it's just, it's just in there. <laughs> Where did you watch the extended cut on? Uh, I mean, not, you own the DVD. That's not what HBO yeah, Max says. I do own the DVD but I own the regular cut on DVD but no, I uh, I won't confirm or deny that I, I borrowed the extended cut from the internet. There okay. you go. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. You know, I don't want you. To, I don't want you to. I don't want you to but yeah, if, if it's out there, you can find it. Yeah, I don't want you to prosecute yourself. I don't want you. To, I don't want you to incriminate yourself uh, here on the bad no, movies okay, worst opinions podcast. The, the opening narration line that you referred to is: "They say your whole life flashes before you are, before your eyes when you die. That's true, even for a blind man. They say your whole life flashes before your eyes when you die, and it's true, even for a blind man." That's terrible. Yeah, it was so lame, too. Cause That's like so they, bad. First off, they set up that he's going to die in the first scene. I know we're talking about the narration, but they set up he's going to die. They say, when you die. Like, they use the term die, and then we later in the film find out he didn't die in that film. He just gets beat up. It was, yeah. it, it was like a callback, but a lame one. Yeah, I, I hated that. We go through his childhood. Anthony Soprano and his friends are beating up Daredevil. She's not coming. Who? Grandma just called. Started crying and hung up. She needs a purpose in life. No, your mother is tougher than you think. So what, no fucking ZD now? Daredevil's dad, who is Jake Parkman from Major League Two, he's about <laughs> seven Heinekens deep. Yeah. And then we find out how Daredevil becomes blind and how he becomes Daredevil. He is blinded by biohazard chemicals running from his dad after beating up a guy, and that's how he becomes a superhero. Thumbs up or thumbs down on this montage? Oh, it was bad. It was really bad. Yeah, thumbs down. So, yeah. like, the whole time I was watching this, I was comparing it in my head to the MCU movies because I was like, all right, what has the MCU done so well that this movie just missed on? And I came across me, like, if you look at the origin stories in the MCU, they set up how the person became the, you know, superhero with long, like, time. Like, think about Iron Man 1, which is really unfair to do to Daredevil. 90% of the movie is becoming Iron Man. Even Ant-Man, like, 80% of the movie is becoming Ant-Man. This was like, hey, you're Daredevil. And we're done. That's why he's Daredevil. We're 15 minutes in, and now you guys get it. It wasn't enough storytelling on how he became an acrobat, apparently. Yeah, or like what the chemical is that hit his eyes. It just said, what, toxic compound mm-hmm. or something? And it's like, all right, I guess that gives you like the ability to have like an internal sonar or something. Like, I don't know how that works out, but apparently it does. It was like a lame version of the Spider, the original Tobey Maguire Spider-Man origin story, but just done so much worse. Because there's that scene where he's like sliding down that ramp i guess which is on a new york building don't know why but he's like yeah i can just i can just figure out where things are because i live with no fear which was a theme that they apparently had the whole setup to how i became daredevil was lame i was also thinking that if you got hit in the face with biohazardous chemicals you would have some kind of facial deformity too like it wouldn't just be that your eyes would be messed up that certainly would be part of it but if you were walking and right now a gallon of biohazardous chemicals hit you in the face your face would be burned in some kind of... You wouldn't still look good the way that he looked good in this movie. You'd have other things wrong with you than just your eyes. Well, there were, like, a couple scenes, like, they showed, like, some weird scarring around, like, the side of his face, but it didn't seem like there was any consistency to the makeup work. So, yes, it would be a larger problem than just your eyes. Also, the scene where it's, like, it gets into his eyes, and, like, we see his, like, I guess, retina burning out with that weird CGI montage. Like, oh, that's connected to his brain? Also stupid. I mean, all that CGI was just, it looked like an episode of, like, CSI from, like, the early 2000s. Just all that bad, all those bad CGI sequences. 
Oh, I got notes on how bad that animation that was to me. This movie could have actually been saved had they found a better way to show when he goes into daredevil mode. Yeah, the movie would have been improved if they had just done a better job at this. He can just flip in place like back, back flip, front flip, whatever. He's a superhero. Of course he can. Yeah, it's so insane. His dad gets his life together, gets back into the ring and daredevil now finds out that he is a superhero and explains to us what his powers are. I had lost my sight. High above the roar of the streets, I trained my body and my senses. An acute sense of touch gave me both strength and balance. Until the city itself became my playground. You guys watch way more MCU movies than this. I thought this was a great Stan Lee cameo. He's walking, he's learning his cane, he's learning his surroundings. All of a sudden he saves a man from getting hit by a bus. And it's Stan Lee right there, R.I.P. I thought this was a great Stan Lee cameo. Maybe I'm jaded by the fact that basically every Marvel movie up until he's passing had a Stan Lee cameo to the point where I felt like I knew it was coming and it was just the same way we see it so many other times. Like, you've seen him on a bus. You've seen him, like, it seemed like run-of-the-mill to me, but I could be jaded because I've seen, like, 40 of these MCU films where he just pops up. No, in terms of, like, the hierarchy of, I guess, Stan Lee cameos, I think it's a pretty fun one. Like, yeah, he saved his life. It was kind of cutesy. It wasn't like there are some like more deliberate ones. Like in some yeah. of the later ones, it's like they really like milk it and make a meal out of Stan Lee being in it. But like, yeah, I like it when it's just like a brief little brief, brief little thing. I would also say they, they milk it as time goes on. I think Disney sure. and Marvel start to learn that time is up against Stan, where at this point in time, this is still 20th Century Fox. It, you can be a little more cutesy and hide it in plain sight. When it was like Avengers time, it was like, we know this could be the end of the line. We got to get him. We need to make him front facing. So it's yeah. a little different. And it is interesting to see, like, you know, John, this is John Favreau, pre-Iron Man. You see Kevin Feige's name in the credits. It's like I, a co-producer. I had that yeah. Yeah, so it's just like the inner workings of the Marvel Universe are there. But I guess uh, Mark Steven Johnson, who also made the Ghost Rider movies and this movie, uh, yeah, he didn't do a good job. How much that's Fox, though? Because remember, this is still when 20th Century Fox owned Spider-Man and that's true. Daredevil, which at the time were two of the marquee Marvel heroes. It's like that's when Disney, which was then Marvel Studios, had to pick up all the secondary pieces. Like that's true. There are makings, but 20th Century Fox may have been the one making the decision to say, nah, no expansive universe. That could be. That very well could be. That would make sense, too, because they made mainly the wrong decisions. That's fair. <laughs> Anthony Soprano reappears, and he and his friends still are picking on Daredevil. He is now blind. I feel like you give the blind kid a pass in this situation. Yeah, I don't know if you're so. still yeah. picking on the blind kid in this situation. Daredevil then whoops his ass. Matt Murdock then karate-sizes these guys, and I hope that ends the bullying. We don't see Anthony Soprano anymore in the movie after he gets karate by Matt Murdock. I think that's because he killed him. I think he killed all those you kids. Th you think that in that situation, he commits his first murder and he just kills the first those three of, kids. You know, also, yeah, the first of many, many murders. So but... a, a, a lot of murders for Daredevil. <laughs> by the way, this is my second fun fact. So this movie, when they originally shot it, the plan was to make it R with more violence, more nudity, more language. But then the studio was like, no, no one wants to go see an R-rated superhero movie. So they then toned it down. So I don't think it's technically murder. I could see it. Sure. But they at least keep that that out of sight, out of mind, because they had to drop it down to the PG-13, because the thought was, adults don't want superhero movies. What was the superhero movie that came out right before Daredevil? Was it Spider-Man? Spider-Man was O2. Okay. Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. Because I did read that online somewhere. I don't know if that's a thing you're going to do later, but I read that the budget was originally $50 million, but then after Spider-Man was a huge hit, they upped it to 78 or 80 because they were like, oh, people want to see this movie. Let's throw some money in here, and I don't know where that money was spent. I bet it was <laughs> in the spent the money. I actually think it was, I bet CGI at the time was very expensive and I'm terribly sure. done. That's, yeah. my, that's my hunch on where the money went. I bet. Yeah. The bookie from Hardball tells Daredevil's dad to throw the fight, but he doesn't listen. And I wrote down this will probably prove to be a fatal decision. Well, my intuition was right. And he gets Apollo creeded to death outside the venue. And then what became a theme of the movie, they then leave a rose. We didn't know then at the case what the rose meant, but they then leave him a rose. My first major question, is Daredevil more Spider-Man or Batman in this? Because whenever he would go into this, like, CGI computer mode, it felt like his spidey sense was tingling. But how he kind of moved around in the city in the shadows, he had a lot of Batman energy. Do you think that Daredevil is more Spider-Man or Batman? I think he's more Batman. 
And and a lot of this, he reminded me of like the Lego Batman, where he was just like I was constantly talking about like darkness. Like, I live in the darkness. Yeah, he's supposed to be far, far, far more Batman-ish than Spider-Man-ish, but I think they tried to jam some of that Spider-Man juju, for lack of a better term, into this because you got to have the backdrop of Spider-Man, which is a massive hit. Let's try to recreate the formula, retinker, and make it work. So that's why I think it had Spider-Man vibes, but he's definitely supposed to be more of a Batman character. I thought he was Spider-Man, but blind. Like, everything that he would describe, like when he was talking about how his sentences are, are heightened in this situation, yeah. that sounds like Spider-Man to me. Now, you guys are way more superhero people than I am in this, but when he is then explaining what makes him become Daredevil, it sounds like he is describing a Spidey sense. That's yeah. what it sounds to me. He just He's has, just like, blind. a Spidey sense all the time. Yeah, all the time. He can yeah. never turn it off. Yeah. And that's why, like, I mean, there are a lot of flaws in this movie. Don't get me wrong, but, like, when you compare it to, like, the TV show that Marvel actually did, that's a lot better, A, because storytelling was better, but B, is because they made him, like, a superhero. He's supposed to be Batman, a lawyer by day, and, like, doling out harsher justice at night in Hell's Kitchen. But they gave him, like, weird, aggressive, like, superhero, like, superhuman qualities, which isn't really supposed to be how it goes down. So I get where you feel the Spidey Sense thing. Man, when they introduced Ben Affleck to as Daredevil, when he's like tried talking to the guy that got got off in court, and he's just like hanging out in the rafters at the bar, which is just super weird and creepy, by the way. The one guy just points him out. He's like, "What are you doing up there?" He's like, "What do you want?" It's like justice. What do you want? Justice. It's like, oh, this is That's terrible. Batman. This That's is Batman. bad. Yeah. He then essentially threatens that guy in open court. He threatened him. Yeah. In open court. He says, you're going to get yours, and then that night he got his. No one questioned the lawyer of, hey, what did you mean in this situation? You yeah. said he was going to get vengeance. You said this in open court in front of Very other much people. on the record. And then justice <laughs> was then served. <laughs> what do you know about this? Do you have anything to do with this? Yeah. I can't believe, as a lawyer, you threatened a man in open court. You didn't wait two weeks. You didn't wait three weeks to attack this man. That night. You said it at 2 p.m. <laughs> and then killed him at 10 p.m. He was having his celebration of I got off party, and that's when you yeah. went over there and killed him. <laughs> there was this one scene in there where they just show him for the first time as an adult in the Daredevil costume. Yeah. And he does some of the most uncoordinated karate wah, 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 moves I'd ever seen in my entire life. Yeah, it made me think of just like, like a TikTok of like someone like doing like martial <laughs> arts like. moves or something. <laughs> this is this is absurd. And then even when he put the costume on, it was kind of like the uh, Batman and Robin sequence where like it zooms in on his ass and it shows him like putting on the gloves and everything. And it's like it's not like why are we doing this? Why are we showing him putting on the costume? By like the way, this? my next fun fact: the costume took eight months to perfect. When they were, you know, getting this movie ready, it took eight months for them to be like, that's the costume we want. We have finally made the decision. Can you, I, I'd hate to see what a rush job looks like. <laughs> I, I want to know I what hate to see what the rush job looks like. <laughs> I want to know what they said no to. Like, hey, yeah. uh, that doesn't fit what we're looking for in Daredevil. That eight months, and you're right, the first time he, like, does, like, the suit-up scene, which is, like, a big deal in superhero movies, he's, like, just fighting air in his apartment. It's so <laughs> lame. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely terrible. <laughs> so you mentioned it, Patrick. Daredevil goes to the bar to regulate against the rapist. I thought this scene was really tough to watch visually. Yeah. Really, really tough. You know how they have those warnings where if you have epilepsy, mm -hmm. how you can get triggered by certain effects and strobe lights. This seemed like one of those scenes to me. It was just really tough. It's so much flashing and happening, and he's going between, like, regular view and then a super spidey sense cgi view i thought this scene actually could have been kind of cool i thought they really messed it up with all the effects to it i thought this was one of the tougher scenes to watch well yeah and i don't know if at any point we're gonna get to uh the soundtrack or the music that's featured in the movie but basically it's just evanescence over and over again <laughs> it's a lot of evanescence man it's, it's a so lot much. of 2003 so rock god it's so much evanescence i'll say this about that scene though i felt like they had a it was a bad idea with the sonar thing, but like they were trying to like really show like this is how he's able to see it. We don't need to see how he's able to do these things. We don't care. Like it, I don't care about the sonar. So you're the visual. Of this is really hard because like it goes from like a shootout in a bar to his version, which is quiet and then sonar and it. 
it is very, very visually bad. And then for some reason at the end, all the pool tables are on fire, but they're clearly not really on fire. It's CGI fire. fire. It was so bad. I was like, this this whole fight scene was just terribly. And then he stumbles in, and like we get a zoom in on him stepping on a puddle, and it was stupid before he goes to train tracks. It's awful. And I I don't know at what point uh, he made uh, DD and gasoline, but when like Joey Pants is on the scene and he throws yeah. his cigarette out, it just lights up as a double D. Also, if we're going to talk about that scene, he lets him die as the train runs over him, but for some reason we're able to see the next scene where they put the body bag over him, but his body seems totally fine. If a train runs over you, you are mutilated beyond repair. Yeah. You are not zipped up in a body bag to the point where Joey Pants is like, hey, this guy was in court earlier today and starts making connections. Your body is mangled. Did Daredevil <laughs> want to get found? Because when he... he takes his mask off a lot. I know, like but, but when the guy throws the cigarette and then he sees the DD, so he sees his calling card, yeah. is he trying to be found out? You don't really see superheroes leave a calling card like this. That's this true. is like a, hey, I take responsibility for these actions. I thought it was kind of weird that he left a calling card. Is You're giving the clues for your discovery here, for yeah. your investigation. You're basically confessing to a crime. Mm-hmm. So here's the thing. It's where I think he's, he's more Batman-ish in the comics. He's supposed to be like, think about the bat signal and the fact that Batman doesn't hide the fact that I'm Batman. I showed up. I whoop some ass. I'm a vigilante. Come get me. Daredevil's supposed to be in that vein, just marvelized, like it's the same concept. Yeah. So it's his version of the bat signal. It's just so terribly done because Joey Pants figures out who he is like ten minutes later. Yeah, yeah, he does. We get back to Daredevil's house. Daredevil gets dumped via phone because he's emotionally unavailable. On that Darede- answering machine. Mm-hmm. He did. Yeah. I mean, that's not very O three vibes. Yeah. yeah, that was pre text message. Normally, she would have just. Now she oh, would just text you for three yeah. months. Like three months, and you're still unavailable, girl. Three months. He he's been pretty open about. It. He's not interested in this real a real thing. Yeah, you haven't been to his apartment in three months. Like, come on now. And he keeps leaving at three a.m. Like, so you got to. There are there are clear signs that he's not for you long term. <laughs> Daredevil goes to the confessional. He goes from the confessional to the coffee shop just instantly. Like we see him talking to the father, who becomes a central part of the movie. Yeah. And then he's at the coffee shop, and we get our first introduction to John Favreau. Jennifer Gardner walks in here. Now, I'm going to say this. This is as good as I've ever seen Jennifer Gardner look. Every time she was on screen, I was attracted to her. This one her peak attractiveness. By the way, real quick, can we talk about his apartment? He sleeps in water. He sleeps in like a bed of, not a water bed. He sleeps in literal water. Because remember, he gets out of that thing. It's like a cryogenic chamber. That's his bed. Why does he sleep in water? Can someone explain this to me? Because water activated his powers. That's why this whole movie would just be different if he just kept a bottle of Aquafina. And whenever <laughs> whenever the function was about to start, he just splashed it on his face. Then he could see that's all he needed to activate his super, his true superpowers was Dasani. As long as you just got a little bit of Dasani, a little bit of a jug, you poured on your eyes, and now you can see. I don't know why he doesn't do that all the time. Because I was watching that f- scene, and I'm like, do you know how weird your skin and your body would be if you slept in water every single night? Also, where does one buy this chamber of water? Wouldn't there be some red flags? Hey, this small-time lawyer sleeps in water. Why is no one talking about this? I wanted to know where he was getting money from because he obviously didn't care about money in his practice. Yeah, he was not making money as a lawyer. There, he was getting paid in fish. I mean, and, how uh, much is that? How much is that cryogenic chamber that you're I don't sleeping? Know. In? How much is that super duper water bed that you're sleeping in? It's got to be twenty, thirty grand. No, where I did you get this money from? Joe Rogan where, has one of those, so like I'm pretty sure they're expensive. Yeah, where does all this money come from? That was my thing. With the, I'm like, that's an expensive bed. But to the Jennifer Gardner scene, we kind of find out that this is when we find out he's poor because this is the scene where he's like, you know, talking about being a lawyer and da da da. Oh, speaking of bills. Your client, Mr. Lee, he made his first payment. Oh, that's great. You should be very happy. Yeah, it's fantastic. He paid in fluke. Fluke is a fish, Matt. Did you know that? Because I sure as hell didn't. Jimmer Garner walks in and she's like, oh, is he hot? Is she hot? But says it like way weirder. Like, tell me. Tell me what she looks like. And John Favreau's like, oh, no, she's not attractive. And the weird, like the meat cute. It seemed like they jammed a romance novel into a superhero movie for no rhyme or reason. You want the truth? Absolutely. She's hideous. I don't know if it's fungus or some sort of congenital birth defect, but as your attorney in this matter, I advise you take no further action. 
But he like he smelled her before she came in, which is so weird. Yeah, it's his creepy. senses are. See, you guys are being too hard on Daredevil here. He can't see her in that moment without the water in his face, so he has to use his other senses. Okay, no, I think the idea behind the the water bed thing is it's supposed to keep him quiet because he can hear everything at night. So I think that it makes everything totally I silent. That makes sense. Yeah, I'd... I mean, not that like it makes sense, but I think that's like the logic behind it. He's, you could he's like you could defeat Daredevil with a Bluetooth speaker if you. Well, just walked around with a Bluetooth speaker, you could whoop Daredevil's ass. That's what I didn't understand. There were so many of these fight scenes where, like, these people figured that out, that it was, like, loud noise is what freaks him out. Like, he can't handle that. It's like, yeah, just get a Bluetooth speaker, put it on max, and, like, you can kick his ass. If you had a boombox, you could yeah. definitely whoop the Daredevil's <laughs> yeah. ass. 100%. I like, mean, John Cusack can say anything, could kick his ass. They figured that out. The train scene, he's like, oh, the train got you. But then, like, for some reason, just two scenes later, no one seems to understand it. They just don't get loud noises. Get my man. <laughs> Yeah, it's like every time he like falls on the ground and like puts his hands he, on he his puts head. puts his over his ears. He's, yeah. like, he's hiding this. Like, <laughs> yeah. He follows her outside the coffee shop where they Five. have their first of two dates. We saw them have two dates in this movie. This was the first date. They're fighting on a playground with elementary school kids. They're fighting right there on the playground. Hiya, watch. What do you want? I just wanted to get your name. I didn't uh, want any trouble. Look. I don't like being followed, so don't. Uh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a second. Take it easy. I don't like being touched. They're fighting right there in front of school kids. Well, yeah, but for, let's also first talk about how many times she tells him no. She's not interested. No, no, no. Then he follows the name, her. Yeah. He grabs her arm. That's not a cool move. And then she's like, don't grab me. And then, yeah, and then they just start fighting in front of these kids on a playground. And like they're flipping around in place. I feel place. like your cover is blown as a superhero mm -hmm. now in this moment when I start seeing you do some superhero shit. When you're doing like dual fighting on seesaws and <laughs> the, kid, the kids in the playground, very unfazed by the fact two adults, a man and woman, mind you, are fighting. I feel like in 2023, if I went, if a man and woman were fighting at an elementary school, someone, an adult, a child, would be like, "Hey, there's a fight happening over there." They wouldn't just keep playing on the playground like, "Ho hum, life goes on." Can you imagine that in real life? Well, especially in, like, New York City. It's like some guy is just going to come out there and kick the crap out of Ben Affleck. Like, it's just going to happen. Some New Yorker is just going to be like, hey, get out of here. We meet the villain. Have you noticed that every villain loves cigars? Is it just the signal of being a boss? Kingpin. Yeah. He's smoking a big cigar, and almost every time we see him in his lair, he's smoking cigars. That's very in keeping with the character, though. He's supposed to be this giant, menacing figure. And there's something is menacing about a guy who just smokes a cigar, a big stogie during, like, business meetings. Like, it does make him seem like this bigger-than-life figure. So I kind of actually, well, I know we'll get to it later, like, the one person that saved the movie, Michael Clark Duncans and Kingpin, were actually a redeeming part of this film. Everything else stunk, but I thought he did a good job in that role, being a giant, menacing character. Yeah, I do think he did a good job in that part. And, like, uh, did you ever watch the Daredevil show? Yeah, with Vincent D'Onofrio. Yeah. yeah, I thought he was great, too. But, you know, I thought Michael Clark Duncan did something, like, different. And he actually mm -hmm. was good in this movie. Like, uh, he was acting in a different movie than, like, Colin Farrell was. We'll get to that later. <laughs> their, their first scene together was one of the dumbest scenes yeah. of, like... There's supposed to be these villains conspiring, and it's way too campy, way too cutesy, so dumb. But I actually felt like the first time we get introduced to him, he is the kingpin. He's menacing. He's what he's supposed to be. So we get introduced to Colin Farrell pretty quickly. He's bullseye in this. He kills two people in a span of about three minutes mm -hmm. with paper clips and honey-roasted peanuts. Yes. He Kills the man and ends his life with the paper clips. Yeah, he kind of like untwirls the paper clip and, and then he just gives him give him gives him seven to the esophagus. Yeah, again, no one faced the bar. Like I guess it must be like a seedy Irish bar, but he did commit a murder, and everyone's like, oh, classic bullseye. Classic bullseye. <laughs> and then the woman on the airplane is yapping. He could have just reached over and said, "Hey, ma'am." I'm a little busy. I'm listening to music. There was certainly ways to de-escalate this situation. Nope. Just kills her with the honey-roasted peanut. Flick, shoot, scores right in her mouth. She dies right then and there. In his defense, she did seem to be, like, pretty racist. She did seem to be pretty racist, but she did do the classic old racist person thing and say, but no one asked me, or the that's fine by me, even though it's clearly not fine by her. Because then she <laughs> say, like, that person is of color, and that's fine by me, when yeah. it's clearly not fine by her. This 
Susie is my son Larry's daughter by his first marriage. She eloped with this semi-colored fella from London. What's the word for that? Mulatto, yeah. Just let's say he had a little cream in his coffee. But he did very well for himself on the internet. But don't ask me how. <laughs> but then it's like very quickly, Colin, yeah, Colin Farrell, Bullseye's first instinct is to like, all right, I'm going to take this peanut. And then he looks at like the tray thing. And he's just like, all right, he's like, I can flick it off there. And then he just does it like a, like a paper football. He just flicks it and then it bounces off the tray. Right down her throat. Incredible accuracy by my man right there. Oh, straight down the pipe. I actually thought this next scene was one of the better scenes in the movie. Daredevil beats the man up in front of the kid. The kid is clearly afraid. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And he has that moment of self-reflection. Like, what am I doing? Like, I want to preserve justice. I want to help people. I want to be the voice for the voiceless in this situation. But my presence scares children. I actually thought this is one of the better scenes where he had a clear moment of self-reflection on his actions and if he's going about it the right way, that eventually there's a callback to it later in the movie. There is, yeah, but then, I mean, like, he killed people before that and then he killed people after that. So it's like, I don't know how much self-reflection there actually was. Not too much, yeah. yeah. Not <laughs> Again, it was like one of those moments where he's, like, they're trying to make a Batman character, but it... You know, they do, do it wrong. Cause like, this little more sort of reflection where he's like, I'm not the villain. That's your entire existential crisis. I'm not the villain, and now I'm back to doing murderballing people with no problem. <laughs> Just come on. So this is the first time I recall that a, a criminal makes an outright comment about how Kingpin runs the streets now. Can you imagine you're a low-level goon for the mafia or a Kingpin, and you're just telling people who runs the streets? <laughs> that is not great crime work. It's not, yeah. <laughs> not great crime work. You're beating up a random stranger like, the kingpin runs these streets now. Why are you admitting to a crime? What are you doing? I think he realized that this was the end for him, so he at least That's had fair. to go out and let you know who's really in control out here, that you might think you're in control, but you're not in control. Kingpin is really the one in control. That I guess that's what he was trying to do, but it just seems silly to me that you would announce who the big boss is right there to low-level people. We find <laughs> out about the black and white ball here. We now head to date two with Jennifer Gardner, and I thought he spit some incredible game up there on the roof. He takes her up there. This is a special place. She tries to pull the, well, you bring all the girls here, and then he tells her why this is important. He then shows her that it's about to rain. She doesn't believe him. And uh, when it rains, it's like there's a rooftop on the world. Each raindrop makes a sound the first time it falls on a surface. Just then, it's like I... Like I can see again. That's when we find out that water activates his powers, that all you need is a water jug, <laughs> and he could become the baddest superhero in the world. <laughs> and then, let's be real about what happened here. He heard somebody needed help. There's a commotion. Somebody mm -hmm. is in peril. I don't know why there's so many muggings in random alleys in these superhero movies. Yeah. He hears one. He has the ability to end the situation. That's the Spidey sense right there. And he chose that booty over his duty. That's what he did in that moment. Mm -hmm. He heard a commotion. Please help save us. And she's like, but do you want to come over? And next thing you know, they're sleeping together. He chose that booty over his duty. Oh, yeah. She was like, stay. And he was like, okay. <laughs> yeah. This is also like one of those like lame callbacks where like he wakes up in the morning at her house. We can tell it's the morning. He's like satisfied that he stayed over like oh he's falling for the girl again we're jamming romance into this movie and he's supposed to be this dark gritty character no very bad it always rains so much in these movies mm -hmm. like this was the first time where okay we learned that rain and water help him activate his powers it just doesn't go from completely clear to a torrential downpour yeah. instantly. Like, it wasn't like sprinkling for a little <laughs> bit, and then, it, and then it just picked up. Every time there's water, there's just so much water in these I situations. would also say to your point about him, you're like, look, it's about to rain. Does no one know the weather in Hell's Kitchen? Is that just like a total mystery to people? Maybe I'm like, because Kansas City is like, the weather is, you know, hot than cold, like to an extreme, so we look at it more. Yeah. But the idea that she's like, let's be outside, and she's like, I had no idea it was going to rain today. What a mystery. How is that possible? It's like someone with like a bad hip knows it's about to rain. Correct. Like, you know. <laughs> this is like having a super bad hip. This was, <laughs> yeah. this was the greatest titanium hip you had ever seen. <laughs> it's black and white ball time. Everybody is at this thing. There's a very tense conversation between Daredevil and Fisk. Daredevil also has a conversation with the reporter who clearly knows who he is in this situation. Mm. Matt Murdock, 
And you're you're close. To- and he's like 95% there, and he's waiting to get and cross the goal line in this situation. Again, Jennifer Gardner walks in, titties out, looks amazing. Looks great. Gen- Jennifer Gardner, look, that moment right there when she walks up and she's in that silver dress and she's got the cleavage out and popping, that was the most attracted I'd ever. We've seen Jennifer Gardner for 30 years in our lives. She's done commercials. She's done other hit movies. At that moment, that was the most attracted I've ever been to Jennifer Gardner. Yeah, this made me want to go back and watch uh, Alias, which I've never seen. But I was like, man, if Jennifer Gardner looked that good in 2003, I'm going to go back and watch Alias. Here's the thing I thought about that scene, and maybe this is because I'm a nerd, and it's because I'm a nerd. Were they trying to set up an MCU in that moment? We talked about it earlier with 20th Century Fox, but this is the scene where Happy Hogan, John Favreau, the Mandalorian, is talking to Joey Pants, and he talks about the alligator in the sewer. That is very clearly a reference to a Spider-Man villain. Yeah. That is obviously one. This is immediately after the Spider-Man movie came out. It seemed like an Easter egg for, oh, man, they might be doing an expansive universe. And to your point, Kevin Feige is connected to this. Yeah. It seemed like they were starting to dip their toe in, dabble in the waters of expansive universe because the alligator in the sewers is clearly a Spider-Man villain. We just had the Spider-Man movie. And we have Kevin Feige attached, who we know wanted an expansive universe. That was going through my mind, this scene. I'm like, are they trying to do it? They just did it so badly they don't? Well, yeah, because it's like they did some things, but then there were other things where it's like, why didn't Joey Pants write for the Daily Bugle? Mm-hmm. Why was it the New York Post? I don't exactly. know. Exactly. Like, there were elements where I'm like, I think they're setting something up. But there are other elements, right, like Joey Pants being for the New York Post. You're like, wait, if he was for the Daily Bugle but we never see Jameson, that's fine. We yeah. can get that little callback, that Easter egg. It seemed like they dabbled into the expansive universe but did it poorly. And then what I also like uh, that scene with uh, Matt Murdock and Fisk at the ball, you said, yeah, it was very tense. He was such a dick to him. He's like, yeah, I'll never be able to like legally represent you because I only represent innocent people. I'm sorry, Mr. Fisk. My partner's a little overzealous. We can't represent you. (laughs) Why is that? (laughs) Yes. Why is that, Mr. Murdock? Because we only handle clients who are innocent. Innocent, he said. It's pretty funny. <laughs> you know, I've learned one thing in all my years in this business. What's that? Nobody's innocent. Nobody. But then he is so blown away that Fisk is the kingpin at like the end of the movie. Like he had no idea. Like this guy's an idiot. Also, he has that weird line about how everyone technically isn't, you know, is guilty at some point. What a weird thing to say. But I guess thought is that hey daredevil's murdering people and like when i saw that thing i was looking at my fun facts i'm like oh this is supposed to be an r movie so we probably should have seen some gratuitous violence by this point and that scene should mean a lot because daredevil thinks he's a hero but he's been murderballing people but we pg 13 it up so it doesn't feel it doesn't hit the same way i felt like this was the turn in the movie at the black and white ball like this is where the tension of the movie really starts to ratchet up so the black and white ball The investigator clearly is on the scent that you are Daredevil. Mm -hmm. Daredevil and Fisk have their first face-to-face confrontation. He is now in a full-blown relationship with Jennifer Gardner now at this point. They're dating each other. Fisk is looking. Fisk then gets you into a conversation with the man. We soon find out that that's Jennifer Gardner, Electra's father in this situation. He hands him the rose, gives him the mark of death. It's like in Breaking Bad. You got that card. You got that little mark outside your house. You're about to die in this situation. This is where the action really heats up. Colin Farrell just kills more people in this movie. And then the limo scene. I thought the limo scene was very good. I thought the limo scene was well done. You guys are the superhero experts here. I liked the limo scene, though. When you say the limo scene, do you mean just the part where they die, he gets out of the limo and dies? Because the dialogue and everything around this scene was super silly. The idea that Colin Farrell is standing on top of a motorcycle while driving it is stupid. He then gets really offended by the idea that he missed, and that's why he's all butthurt. He don't miss! He's and really then, upset about he's it. He's very upset. And then he's because, bullseye. He didn't hit a bullseye. And then because of the explosion, Daredevil can't save Electra Nachos, Electra's father, who I I don't remember his first name, but I remember thinking, like, his last name is Ian Nachos. Like, it's Eat Nachos. That's the man's last name. I don't think we've touched on that. It's the stupidest last name on Earth. Yeah, it's not great. It's I'm like, and then Daredevil just leaves the murder weapon at the scene of the crime, which is his go-to weapon. He doesn't think anyone's going to figure it out. I thought the dialogue in that scene was silly and i thought the way they killed the father was silly and i thought bullseye being very offended by missing was very silly so like the actual like the driver and the security guy in the limo kind of cool the way they go everything else with the limo scene lame 
Yeah, I mean, I thought it was an interesting choice to, like, have Electra think that he killed her father. Like, I did like that, that it was his uh, little walking stick thing, walking stick nunchucks, whatever they are, that, that killed him. But, yeah, I mean, otherwise, it is, I mean, Colin Farrell, this whole movie, he's campy and over the top. Like, he's totally in a different movie. I feel like Michael Clark Duncan is, like, actually in a gra- somewhat grounded reality. But Colin Farrell's got, the, we haven't even talked about his makeup. I mean, he's just got a bullseye on his forehead. Because he's bullseye in this situation. <laughs> I liked it. Yeah. I thought that Colin Farrell was funny in this. I thought it was a good back-and-forth fight. The explosion happens, and then you see that he can't properly see his stick, so he misses. Her father dies in this. Yeah. situation now you're right i mean that's your magic stick you can't leave it inside the man so now the cops do it and then that clearly continues the hey we think we know who this is like yeah. the, the investigator only finds out that it's matt murdoch because whenever kevin smith kevin smith that's right i forgot he was in it yeah, yeah very small cameo yeah whenever kevin smith appears and then he turns the dial at the bottom and then the walking stick comes out that's when the detective knows the investigator i know exactly who daredevil is in this situation yeah it's the blind lawyer from hell's kitchen yeah i would say the limo scene and you're right to the to the the God, that Kevin Smith just found that out so quickly. The cops didn't, apparently, but the medical examiner did. It's wild. <laughs> that whole limo scene shows kind of the problem I have with this movie. And, like, it seems like at times they're trying to, trying to be dark and gritty and Batman begins and Dark Knight-ish with the Daredevil, which makes sense for his character based on the comic books. But then we get campy, over-the-top villains at the same time and campy sonar and superhero acrobatics. It seemed like... It was trying to serve two masters, and hey, we're going to be dark and gritty because that's what Daredevil is. But also, Colin Farrell's going to just be here and be goofy and have a giant bullseye and kill someone with a walking stick. And it it, it seemed like in that moment I realized that this movie doesn't know what it is. It doesn't know if it's going to be fun and Sam Raimi style of Spider-Man, which worked, yep. or it's supposed to be dark and gritty Christopher Nolan Batman, which also worked. You can't be both. It can't do both things. You can. And the interesting thing is, like, I didn't read a ton of comic books as a kid, but I did read, like, Frank Miller's Batman, and then mm-hmm. Frank Miller also did a run of, like, Daredevil, too. So it's like, he wrote both of these comics, and, like, I think that's why they're both really great, is he's good at, like, figuring out, like, the kind of the darker tone mm-hmm. of these stories and kind of doing it in a more adult way. But, yeah, like you said, it's like they wanted to fit everything in this, too. It's like, all right, it's going to be for kids, it's going to be for adults, it's going to be dark, but it's also going to be funny. Um, I don't know. I also just randomly remember that I read online that Ben Affleck hated his hair in this movie. That he was embarrassed by his hair. I, one of my fun facts has been Affleck really hated everything about this movie. Yeah. <laughs> he, he said when he got cast that Daredevil is his favorite movie, his favorite character. And then after the movie, he was like, he did a full backpedal getting away from the fact he ever did this film. He is straight up embarrassed this thing ever saw the light of day. And he has backtrack he's like yeah superhero movies aren't for me he did a whole press tour about how he didn't like this as it was coming out that was one of my fun facts ben affleck hates that he was in this movie yeah well and he even said he was like i'm never gonna do another superhero movie ever again mm-hmm. and then he did batman and then he was batman, <laughs> he did batman so. which is also he was very short lived as batman too it's very and he also hated his time as batman Correct. <laughs> those checks still cash though yeah, yeah, yeah. funeral time fisk is at the funeral which seems sick because you were the one that authorized the hit on this man's life but, yeah. but to be fair at this point only the audience knows that no one else knows that he's the kingpin at this point i mean other than unless some random goons on the streets are telling people but we don't know that he's that we know he's the kingpin but the people there don't know he's the kingpin daredevil and electra have a heart-to-heart talk and it just starts to rain out of nowhere so he can see her face she then leaves my dog hanging this is the breakup that he was worried about you remember he had the conversation with Jav Favreau about them being out of the league and that they were going to break up. He clearly went back to his apartment and was breaking stuff because, A, he let her father die, and he knows that he's about to get dumped in this situation. His intuition was right. He does get broken up with. Fisk is laughing at the back, which is one of my favorite parts of this entire movie. I actually wrote down that this is the best scene in the movie. I think this whole funeral scene, their interaction with each other, Fisk being kind of in the background in the shadows, the rain happening, her saying, just drive. I thought this was the best scene in the movie. I want revenge. Revenge won't make the pain go away. Trust me. I know. There's no place for me now. Yes, there is. Stay. Stay with me. 
I thought the black and white ball was better, but that scene in the black and white ball kind of fulfilled the same thing. There was tension. There was a lot in the air, and we all knew it, but they didn't. They hadn't connected all the pieces. Those two scenes are great. It's the problem that what connects them is all campy and dumb. My favorite part of that scene, and I agree, it's one of the more effective scenes in the movie, is just the fact that like it's kind of a callback where you know she got him to stay on the roof, and he's like, he's like, stay, stay with me. And she's like, no. And then she leaves, and it's like, bitch, I let someone die for you. I let someone die to stay with you. And now she's like, no, I'm, I'm going to leave you. Sorry, man. Toxic love. Yeah. Toxic love. <laughs> yeah. love. Really Define these relationships. We then get to see Bullseye and Kingpin have an interaction with each other. They talk One about, of the worst scenes in the movie, by the way. They talk if about not the worst. <laughs> they yeah. talk about killing Daredevil. And they made me miss. They put a hit out on Electra. The investigator, the reporter, then confirms they're about to go kill your girlfriend. And then we get a Electra alias scene where we realize we knew, but then she a hundred percent confirms. Yo, I can whoop some ass too. She's out here breaking sandbags. We then get a montage to wake me up, which you guys were hating on Evan Essence. This I is like a, Evan Essence. This is it's a, just heavy into the movie. This is a peak 2000s <laughs> pop song. A peak wake me up inside is a peak 2000s song. I'm not going to let any kind of Evan Essence disrespect happen on this here podcast. I will say, no, no, no. When that, when that one came on, I, I did turn it up. Of course <laughs> you did. Like, All right, you let's probably go. got the extended cut too with the director's cut. You got more Evan Essence than we got. <laughs> I have no problem with Evan Essence. I was hating on earlier because it's like such quintessential 2002, 2003 rock. You want to know what my problem is? The scene where she's like just whooping on the sandbags. We know that she's like, you know, she goes through different sensei each week and like learn, but she has suddenly weapons. She has daggers now and she has a costume that she dresses up in. We've got no, nothing to suggest that she's like quasi superhero, but here she comes quasi superhero work. Time to beat up daredevil who then gets beat up by her. And gets stabbed by her. If he's this great superhero, how is he getting his ass whooped by her? Who we have no reference to being good at this. He didn't have any water. If he had had the, if he had splashed the water on his face, he would have won the fight. <laughs> she can't talk to me about vengeance. And then she had an opportunity to kill Daredevil right then and there. She had an opportunity when she put the little Molina swords from Mortal Kombat, when she put them in his shoulder, she had her opportunity to kill Daredevil there, but always in these scenes, you got to talk to the person you're about to kill. You got to see his know, face. Uh, you want to take off the mask. Yeah, yeah you the do. Ma- he, by the way, this is my point earlier. He loses his mask a lot for a superhero. <laughs> like, he, he gets it taken off by basically everyone at some point in time. Everybody she, knows. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is the worst kept secret in the city is that, man, Daredevil live around the corner, man. Daredevil <laughs> is that one lawyer dude. That mm-hmm. mask Murdoch guy. It is the worst kept secret in town. Absolutely yeah. the worst. He's like always standing on top of his own apartment building. Like <laughs> <laughs> Colin Farrell and Electra. They oh, wait, that's another thing. He's like, he's like, it wasn't me. It was this hitman named Bullseye, and she's about to kill him. I'm going to see your face before I kill you. She's all thrown off because Matt Murdock, and then Bullseye shows up. Perfect timing. He's like, look, that's the guy. I told you this guy exists. That's why she doesn't kill him. It, yeah. Like, oh, just happenstance, Bullseye was just watching these two fight, and was instead of just being like, let them kill each other, he was like, I'll intervene right now. So yeah. dumb. Colin Farrell and Electra get into a fight. She loses maybe the worst game of Hot Potato. Bullseye wins the game of Hot Potato and then throws it back to her, and she loses. Yeah. He then kills her. Very disappointing. Now we're at the beginning of the movie, which I actually thought was a cool flashback. You didn't like that as much. I did but not. I like actually that. did like the fact that after all of this, we then are now placed back into the church, and we didn't have any understanding of that when the movie started. Now we do. We understand why we're here. We understand why this place is important, and the best fight scene is about to happen. I liked this part. No, I like that. I like a movie that starts out, you know, with like the last scene or towards the end. So, like, I did enjoy that part of it. That was at least like seemed deliberate and was like uh, an actually good choice that this movie made. <laughs> I don't mind it a being lot. a callback. I want the reference. I, I'm okay with the callback. I don't like that the fact the movie opens him saying they say your life flash for your eyes when you die, and the callback is, oh, he's alive, but everyone else in, that he loves is dead. If you're gonna say he's going to die, kill him. Don't have him say that and then have the father, the priest, be like, Matt, you good? I'm going to get out of here. Peace out. (laughs) Good luck. That part I didn't like. What's your favorite part of the fight with Colin Farrell at the church? I thought this was the best fight scene of the movie. I thought it was better than the in-fight scene 
which we'll get to with Michael Clark Duncan. I thought this was the best fight scene in the movie. What was your favorite part? Favorite part of that I fight scene? I did not think this was the best fight scene, by the way. <laughs> this one was, it was, it was everything I didn't like about Colin Farrell's character. It was campy. It was silly. It was dumb. The part where he breaks the st- stained glass and just catches it. And then and- starts throwing him and he does the backflip <laughs> to avoid every single every one. Every part of that was stupid. Literally, I'm sitting there I'm wa- last night. I'm watching him catch stained glass with his hands. And then all of a sudden he has big chunks of it in both hands. And he just made it rain. No. <laughs> he really made it rain. I hate, I did not like this fight scene at all. And for the first time ever, apparently, one of the villains learned loud noises gets my guy hurt, but yeah. he somehow still didn't take advantage of it considering he was surrounded by, wait for it, loud noises. Still screws up. So, I did not like this fight scene. Zero like. When he hit him in the throat with the collection plate, I oh, let yeah. out an audible laugh. <laughs> yeah. It was so funny to me as yeah. somebody who has spent a lot of time in a baptist church so oh, yeah. i know how heavy those collection oh, plates yeah. are yeah. the fact that he just i mean frisbees it perfectly <laughs> hits him right in the throat that that's my favorite part i liked with the organ and the i liked this fight scene i like the second half of this movie way more than <laughs> rob liked the second half of this movie. i actually think the movie from the black and white ball until the end of the movie i think it's fun I don't think it's a great superhero movie by any means. We have seen 20, 25 superhero movies better than this. Once they quit doing all the weird CGI and the weird strobe light effects yeah. from the black and white ball to the end of the movie, this movie's not bad. The second half. <laughs> yeah, but here's my thing, though. It's, it's like not a, good. It's not, no, it's not good. It's like a different movie than the front. The front is like this gritty coming this character trying to figure out how to make it and like be justice in Hell's Kitchen. And now it's a fun superhero movie. It's light and airy like a lot of the MCU movies are. And I like the MCU movies, but you can't be both Frank Miller's Batman and Sam Raimi's Spider-Man in one movie. This, you're right, is fun. It's goofy. It's silly. It's, hey, we can laugh at it, and it's a fun superhero movie. But for the first hour of the movie, we didn't have any of that. So this is like just a, such a tonal change for me. It's it's really all over the place. Like I, I would imagine a lot of that had to do with cutting it down again. So if like if the director's cut was two hours and thirteen minutes, and this one was an hour and forty three minutes, it sounds like there was probably a lot of shit shuffled together and a lot of stuff left on like the cutting room floor. Yeah, uh, it's it's you know too bad for Coolio. <laughs> too bad for Coolio. <laughs> we then get to the finale after we see that Bullseye gets killed in this movie. It is Fisk versus daredevil fisk learns who daredevil is daredevil now learns about his father he learns about his girlfriend they then get into a fight he finds, he finds water he finds a little bit of the water yeah. and activates his superpower he starts to whoop fisk in this situation he then has the opportunity to kill him he has the opportunity to end his life he spares him we're back at the coffee shop kingpin is in the paper Kingpin is in jail. He gets a new necklace. The reporter doesn't out him as being Daredevil. The movie ends happily ever after, other than Electra dying. No one uses the print screen button on their keyboard, I don't think, but also just, like, deleting the article, like, one letter at a time. There's a better way to do that. That just bothered me. I don't know. What bothered me about the end scene is, like, I would actually like this movie better if they had kept Kingpin alive. Like, not not alive, kept him in out of jail. At what point do we have any evidence that the cops can pin this to Kingpin? Daredevil can, but Daredevil isn't going to walk to the cops and be like, here's the deal, I, I figured it out for you guys, congrats. Kingpin would be better off not going to jail. I don't like. I don't mind him sparing his life. I don't mind him having the dialogue. He's like, you took everything for me, from me. But the part where he's like, you're going to go to jail, and in jail they're going to figure out that you got beat up by a blind guy, so you can never out me. That's dumb. The word's out on the kingpin. They're coming for you. I can hear the police radios from here. <laughs> I swear I'll tell them who you are. Yeah, go ahead. Tell them. Tell the guys at Rikers all about how you got beat by a blind man. Be like blood in the water. And the idea that the cops would show up and they're like, hey, we had a disturbance here. Some people are dead. And that's when we figured out it was you. So you're going to jail. I assume <laughs> he'll break out of jail. But I would like this movie better if he didn't end up in prison. And we had an overarching big bad for, I guess, what could have been a daredevil too. Although maybe the reason they didn't do that is because they knew what Matt Ben Affleck knew, which is I'm one and done. I ain't doing this ever again. Yeah, I did because it's like the movie made money. So, like, I wonder what happened because they did make an Electra movie, right? So I thought there was room. I don't know if there ever was. Was an Electra movie. 
It came out. I think there is an Electra movie. Yeah, there's an Electra movie. At, Jennifer Garner play it? Yeah, it came out, like, I think, two, oh, 2005. She down that bag during this point. This is peak Jennifer Gardner. Well, there no, an and Electra it was movie. even Jennifer Gardner talked shit on the Electra movie, and she, she said she had to do it because it was, like, a contractual obligation there for was being an in Daredevil. Movie. In 2005, it mm. came out. Another 90-minute movie where no one else have noticed in this film other than her. It's, they only had a budget to pay one person. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess, and I read that. There are a lot of people in this movie. We haven't talked about that That's a true. lot in this movie. There's probably 10 to 12 noticeable, oh, hey, I know him. Oh, yeah. I know her. Oh, I know him. This actually has a really good cast. Um, and yeah, but Electra died in this movie, right? So she it must die. have been a prequel it or something. Be a prequel. Well, oh, I'm reading the review and reading the quick synopsis. Electra, the warrior, survives a near death experience and becomes an assassin for hire. Okay, so that sounds like an origin story. <laughs> it does sound like an origin story. Uh, and I did read that Ben Affleck filmed a cameo for that movie, but they took it out. And I don't know why they would do that. Well, Maybe were, he wanted it out. They were probably married. That would have been two years later. They were probably married or seriously dating at the time. Maybe it was one of those deals where it's like, hey, I'll, I'll help you out to you know add credence to your film sure. type of deal. Yeah. She definitely dies in this movie, or at least Daredevil is convinced she's dead. He's like, you killed her, the two people I love, which... But I guess since it made money, maybe that's why. If Affleck's like, I'm not coming back, they're like, well, shit, what can we do? Let's, let's make a prequel with Elektra. We do have to make a movie with Jennifer Garner here. <laughs> yeah, On Rotten Tomatoes, this movie gets 43% from the critics, gave it a positive feedback based on 227 reviews with an average rating of 5.2 out of 10, very similar to the rating on IMDb of 5.3. The critical consensus reads, quote, while Ben Affleck fits the role, and the story is sporadically interesting. Daredevil is ultimately a dull, brooding origin story that fails to bring anything new to the genre. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty dead-on description, that's I think. That's really fair. I mean, yeah. people joke nowadays about how Marvel uh, origin story... You think Affleck fit the role? Daredevil's supposed to be Batman-ish. He played Batman later, so there's an element of that. I can't I, argue that. I felt like people get mad at Marvel movies for being formulaic. This was quintessential origin story formula. Like, let's give a quick montage of his backdrop, quick montage of how no one knows who he is, and now he's, like, at the end, ready to, like, protect the city forever. It was, it was definitely formulaic. Yeah, I mean, all the early 2000s superhero movies... With the exception of a couple like Spider-Man or something, like they're all pretty much the same generic story, mm -hmm. and that's totally what like when I saw Black Adam with The Rock, I was just like, oh, this is like an early two thousand mm -hmm. superhero movie where I was like, it's the same generic cliches, it's the same stuff happens, it's everything. Um, although with the Black Adam didn't have Evanescence, so like could have could have benefited. The Guardians. Peter Bradshaw states that the film had quote unconvincing touches but was more enjoyable than spider-man and as dark as tim burton's batman this movie wasn't nearly as enjoyable as the first two spider-man movies no. i don't know what peter bradshaw i don't know if we watched the same movie yeah the or tim burton's two, batman I the first like that two spider-man movies are amazing i love spider-man it's one of my favorite superhero movies uh, this movie was not nearly as enjoyable as either spider-man movie I do think that review, albeit wrong, does hit on counseling we've talked about, is both campy and dark at the same time, which didn't do it for me. But I also am living in a world where I've seen superhero movies done near perfect so many times now with how the MCU works that with the advantage of hindsight, I look back and I'm like, they missed the mark. I could see how someone in the time was like, hey, it's Spider-Man-ish, but it's darker, so I like it that way. I could see the logic of that person that I disagree with. Rick Groen of the Globe. No way, that's his name. Groen. It is G-R-O-E-N. How would you pronounce his name? That would be growing, yeah. Like, yeah, you would I thought it was like G-R-O-W-I-N, growing. Like, <laughs> no. The Globe Mail's Rick Groen said the film was, quote, not woeful, not wonderful, merely watchable. That's probably, yeah. that's pretty apt. I think that's the most perfect description that's of this apt. movie. Most, I don't think it watchable. was wonderful. I don't think it was woeful. I think it was watchable. I think that is the perfect description of this movie again maybe in 2003 it was like rewatchable when it came out it doesn't have that advantage now it doesn't hold up in the light 20 years later but i could see how in 2003 like it's not spider-man but it's better than fantastic four for example so yeah this is a watchable film yeah and at that time too if you were like a superhero fan you were just happy that you were getting a superhero movie it's not like now where it's like oh my god there are so many please stop That's fair. you're just like oh well you're, you're more defensive too right you're just like hey, it wasn't that bad they, they they got this part right or this part right but it's like no it's 
And especially in hindsight, it's it's a bad movie. And <laughs> at the time, if you're a superhero fan, you're thinking in 2003, you got big people for this. This is a this is a huge deal. The character I loved in the comics has been Affleck yeah. attached to it. It's not like it's you know some nobody. This is the dude. This is the guy. And but so you are probably more defensive. Or now comic fans are still too defensive. They're a little more open to critique in 2023. That's true. The New York Times Elvis Mitchell said the film was quote second rate and ordinary. Yeah. yeah, that's also fair too. Accurate. I haven't heard any bad description of all the <laughs> criticisms. Not woeful, not wonderful, merely watchable, and second rate and ordinary. Uh, that I mean that that kind of sums up the experience of watching Daredevil. It really does. Yeah, there's nothing exceptional about it. Forty three percent though does seem high to me. That's higher than I thought it would be. I mean, this movie. I think you guys make a really good point that in two thousand and three. You probably have a very different opinion about this superhero movie than watching it today because we've seen this movie. Like we've seen Daredevil done. Oh yeah, a million times. A million times better than this too. Oh, yeah. But yeah. in 2003, superhero movies were new. It was innovative. It's like a oh wow. You're yeah. right. They got Ben Affleck to do a superhero movie. They got Jennifer Gardner, they got Michael Clark Duncan, they got all of these people in a Marvel superhero movie. I want to go see it, but just technology has gotten so better. CGI has just gotten better. We've gotten so many more of these movies, and Marvel's figured out how to do the origin stories for this so much better mm -hmm. that 20 years later, this movie doesn't hold up this well. But I wonder if we went back and watched this in 2008, so five years after, I wonder how different our opinion is on this kind of movie. Well, in 2008 specifically, that's when... That was uh, Iron Man 1, right? Well, that was Iron Man and the Dark Knight. Yeah, which so is I, that I think that was like the game changing year. Mm -hmm. That year brokered everything, and I was thinking like that's the start of the actual MCU with Iron Man. I think we still would have been like this doesn't fit into what Marvel's trying to do and trying to be different, and that would have been peak no, not peak evident Kevin Feige's full go. I I have full autonomy time, so I think May '06 we feel different. That's but oh, '08 I think it would have been like Dark Knight just got done. Iron Man got done. Daredevil stinks. I think that would yeah. have been the thought process. If this came out the same year as Spider-Man 3, I think we would have liked it better. Yeah. Well, I do think, like, Daredevil's on par with, like, the early X-Men movies. And, mm -hmm. like, it's probably better than the two Fantastic Four movies that came out. I mean... Totally forgettable film. I don't think yeah. it's on the same level as the first two X-Men movies. I think it's on the same level as X-Men 3 and Spider-Man 3. Okay, yeah, yeah. I love the first two X-Men movies. That's when I was like really into superhero movies, though. Sure, yeah. it's, it's been hard for me. I talk, Rob and I talk about this. It's hard. Like, there's so many superheroes. Like, if I didn't grow up and I like, I grew up. I love the '90s X-Men show. You know, we all watched the Spider-Man. That show. cartoon's amazing. So yeah. I just, I, I was into those superhero movies at this time. And as we've gotten Iron Man and Guardians of the Galaxy, like, I don't know who these superheroes are. I don't care about these superheroes. Which thing yeah. we talked about earlier: the fact that 20th Century Fox owned the big names. So they owned X-Men. They owned Daredevil. They owned Spider-Man. So when Marvel started doing this, they couldn't go get those big names, and they lost you specifically because you wanted the. Those were the names I grew up with. They had to do a Thor. They had to do an Ant-Man. So, like, that's why it worked out this way. So, Daredevil, in a way, shows us the path to Iron Man because they had to do Iron Man. They couldn't keep doing Daredevil. They didn't own it. This is where we do our awards, Patrick, where we do when a hero comes along. Who is somebody that tried to save this movie for you. You thought that this actor, this situation, they did a good job in trying to save this movie. For me, it's Jennifer Gardner. I thought Jennifer Gardner did exactly what they needed her to do in this role. I would say it's either her or the reporter. I thought the reporter, like if you're going to cast that kind of reporter, that old school, I've been covering this New York beat for 30 yeah, years. Yeah, and he was great. I thought he did a fantastic job. It was either him, the long standing reporter the michael mahoney character mm -hmm. or it was jennifer gardner those are my two heroes of the movie i'm i'm kind of on board with that i don't know but for me yeah i would say it's either joey pants the reporter or it's uh or it's michael clark duncan as the kingpin like uh just because he kind of understood the assignment and he he was acting in a better movie than everyone else. I was actually going to say my answer to the award is Michael Clark Duncan. He actually is grounded in reality. He plays a larger-than-life villain very, very well. And I actually think he acts well in this movie, which I can't be said a lot, a lot of the guys. so And women, excuse me. I would say Michael Clark Duncan is my save-the-movie person. And I think Ben Affleck was, like, bad in this movie. Yeah, he's my... I, I don't I, think he's a good superhero. I think he looks the part, mm -hmm. but when you cast him the same way with Batman, when you he's not good at it. Like this movie would have been better if they got Christian Bale. 
if mm. everything about the movie is the same and you get Christian Bale, who I think pulls off being that dark superhero character really well. If you had got Christian Bale to do this, this movie's better. Well, Ben Affleck, he kind of looked like he always did. Like, I don't know. I feel like Ben Affleck, when he was Batman, he like took the roids and got like jacked and did the CrossFit. Like, mm. he just kind of looked like Ben Affleck in this movie. He didn't have the, uh, I guess, and this is pre Marvel movies, but he doesn't have like the standard Marvel superhero body. Like, I'm supposed to be cut and understand. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, to your I think actually, if we're going to get out the worst word now, I'm going to say it's Ben Affleck. And one of the reasons I think Ben Affleck's so bad in this movie is Marvel did a TV show, which is now coming back Daredevil. And Charlie Cox, who is a literal nobody. I mean, yeah. he's the small, small-time actors. Nails the character so much better than Ben Affleck that you that you really look back and you go, Ben Affleck couldn't do what Charlie Cox could do. It really like is an indictment on how bad Affleck was in this movie. Now we give out the doing too much situation person in the movie that you thought was doing too much. I thought the CGI spider sense. I would give this movie a substantially better grade if they had figured out how to do that part. I actually don't dislike the movie. Like, I think there is a good movie here, but I think that every they time, didn't extract it. Every time that we go to this weird blue suit, it visually doesn't work. I don't like it on the screen. Trying to do a fight scene with that up just doesn't look good. This movie's second half, I find entertaining, but I hated all the CGI. I got to say, that was my doing too much. Okay, for me, the doing too much, I laughed every time there was a needle drop. Anytime a song started playing, I just started cackling. So, like, I think the music to me is the worst. I mean, not, it's hard to pick a worst part of this movie, but, like, the music really does date the movie, and it really made me laugh because, like, at that point, all, the, all those songs sound the same. They really do. They all kind of blend together, and it's just like it becomes like a parody to almost where it's like Ben Affleck's like this emo guy, and he's like so dark, and then they're playing this music, and it's like this is too much. Yeah, I I thought Ben Affleck was in general doing too much. He does not fit the character at all. It doesn't make it doesn't make any sense to me. Every time he was on screen, I felt to myself like this is this is not a great scene, and Ben Affleck is the one stealing from what could be a great scene. To your point about a movie in there that's good that could be extracted. I think if you had some of them in Affleck, you could extract the movie. He's my doing too much award. This movie got a 5.3 on IMDb. Too little, too right, just enough. I think it's, it's too much. It needs to be lower. I agree. I think I also agree because I think we have the advantage of hindsight where I've seen superhero and Marvel movies done so well that I look back and go, you, you couldn't get a Marvel hero to work. You couldn't hit with a Marvel character, and you had Kevin Feige on the scene? How Especially does that with this cast. Correct. Especially with this cast. I mean, you got five or six heavy hitters to mm -hmm. agree to do this movie. I think it's a little bit too low. I do like the second half. I would give this movie a 5.7, but I have to agree with the 5.3 because of what I've been saying. Like I just hated... Every time that he would go to this sonar place or the yeah. water would turn everything blue, I just hated it. I think the 5.3 is fair, but I would give it a 5.7 if they just could have found a better way to communicate that. I did not hate this movie. I did not hate this movie. I went into it thinking it was going to be terrible. I don't think it was terrible. I don't think it was a great superhero movie by any means. I didn't leave thinking that this movie was terrible. Yeah, I've definitely seen worse superhero movies and that's saying something because we're living the superhero era i thought it was too high though i'm not giving like a four or five or anything i don't think it's too like off i'm gonna say it's like a four nine or five i think it's slightly too high but i don't think it's outside the realm of where it should be but i i've seen marvel done better so i have to give it a too high yeah i mean i'd probably give it a four i'll give it a four or five it's like, you know, slight, it's below average. It's definitely of its time. You know, it, it's one of those things that it is worse in hindsight. I think I definitely was more forgetting. I fucking loved it when I was a kid, when I saw it in theaters. Obviously. I mean, it was, yeah. superheroes were on the screen for the first time when you it were a kid. It was incredible. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'd, I guess I'd give it a yeah a four or five. It's, uh, it's a little high for me, but I, yeah, I understand where everyone's coming from. This is the Bad Movies Worst Opinions Podcast, where we believe that everybody has a favorite bad movie. Go ahead, review, like, subscribe, do all those, those, those things that podcasters tell you to do. Next week, our movie is Scorpion King. We'll Ooh. be watching The Rock's first 
motion picture. Scorpion King will be our movie. I mean, Patrick, speaking we, of CGI. Oh, oh boy. Yeah. The whole movie is CGI. <laughs> I haven't seen Scorpion King in 15 years, so I'm excited to watch it. Patrick, we appreciate you coming, man. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you.